Golay presents Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. 100% Irish and direct to your door. Hello, gang. Thanks for coming and welcome to Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. I'm your host, Ed Smith, and this is the podcast where you get to hear about the lives and histories of your favorite musical heroes and theirs. So, who have we got to interrogate musically this time? Well, it's fair to say that this week's guest's portrayal of the deliciously sour and snappy Sister Michael in Dairy Girls has firmly granted her nothing short of iconic status. And her helming of the hugely popular The Great Pottery Throwdown has only further cemented her reputation as one of the most versatile performers in that business we call show. I am, of course, extremely chuffed and delighted to be referring to the great Siobhan McSweeney. Now, this is actually a live recording from the Today FM Soundgarden stage at last year's Electric Picnic. It was early enough on a Saturday in festival terms, around 12 or so, so I wasn't expecting much of an audience, but really, I should have known. Once word got out that they would flock to see her, and they did. I'd never met Siobhan before. We have a mutual friend who actually uh, helped set up the interview. Shout out to Jenny Coppinger for that, by the way. But whilst I knew Siobhan, of course, from Dairy Girls, like the rest of us, I was as much a fan of her tweets, to be honest. She's such a force of righteous anger and crack on Twitter that I was really looking forward to meet her. And again, bear this in mind, it was early on the Saturday of EP. She had to schlep it in from wherever she was staying. There was a bit of waiting around, but she was so instantly charming, open, and well, of course, gas, that I just knew it was going to be a good one, and it was. She's such a whip-smart, very funny woman, and a genuine pleasure to talk to about her life, career, and, of course, her recorded history. So here she is, the wonderful, the glorious Siobhan McSweeney. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. I'm your host, Ed Smith, and this is the podcast where you get to hear about the lives and histories of your favorite musical heroes and theirs. Over the course of this series, I'll be speaking to some incredible musicians, writers, artists, creatives, and actors about the three records that have defined their lives. Now, this isn't just another one of those podcasts highlighting the coolest, the edgiest, and the most rarefied records people have in their collection. No, no. There's enough of those. This is a podcast for everyone where we celebrate the personal relationship people have with the music that they listen to. So expect some unexpected choices, forgotten favorites from across the musical spectrum, from rock to house to pop, rock and roll, and whatever you're having yourself in between. Now, normally I'd use the intro of my podcast to hint at the identity of my guests with little tidbits of facts and achievements. Then I do the big reveal. But it's fair to say the woman sitting beside me is instantly recognizable to people here at the they're Today FM Soundgarden. There they go. Do you know? And they're all wisely and sagely nodding their head. But just for the benefit of the people listening on the podcast at a later date, my guest today was, it seems, accidentally molded to be an actor from a very young age, from her very first screen role in 2006. She has firmly established herself as one of the most versatile and in demand actors on stage and on the big and small screen. But it's fair to say, that is one role that she eye-rolled her way into our hearts, the wonderfully world-weary and succulently sarcastic Sister Michael in Dairy Girls. But above all, the adoration, acclaim, and even the pottery, her greatest achievement will always be that she's from Cork. 
Welcome to Recorded History, Siobhan McSweeney. Oh, look at that. I love that, succulently sarcastic. That's good, isn't it? Oh, I love it. It's you, juicy. It's juicy. You, yeah. You, you've, been, you, you've got an education there. Siobhan, like alliteration. Alliteration of succulently sarcastic. You did sarcastic. well in the leaving, did you? I don't know whether you're being succulently sarcastic <laughs> now, but I'm going to move on and pretend you weren't. So, Siobhan, first of all, thanks for taking the time out of your electric picnic experience. We are here live at the electric picnic. Thanks to everyone for coming down to the sound garden. But you almost didn't make it here at all because you had a very distressing experience, I believe, with a pigeon in Supermax. <laughs> yes, uh, I think the pigeon was probably more distressed than I was. Yes, I, I was down in Cork this week and I came up the train station and uh, yes, there was a pigeon in Supermax, which I think is also going to be the title of my memoirs. <laughs> I wondered if they get the snack box, I'd imagine so, yeah. <laughs> Once he wasn't on the menu, I don't mind. We'll, we'll get to your records and your choices soon, Siobhan. I'm just wondering, are you any good at festivals? Like, have you, do you festival good? It's been a couple of years, you were telling me. I um, hate festivals. Okay, great. Yeah, uh, absolutely hate festivals. See, like, I've been going to festivals since the 90s. I, like, it was when I was in college, and then afterwards, as an actor, it was sort of my in-between gig. At the summer, I would go and I'd work and manage beer tents. Or, and then I was, um, actually, the last time I was at Electric Picnic, I was at the very first Electric Picnic, and um, the last, I stopped going to them then for a while, but I used to do falafel wraps oh. on the EcoBus, and I was the fastest falafel maker in the West. I and, heard that, um, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, you know that, that, that the legend? <laughs> it's me. <laughs> the I can phantom make, falafel. I, I can make a falafel wrap, in, but it's all, it's all muscle memory. It's still in the fingers. You still got it. Look at that. You can't see this now, it. but look at that. The, it, her fingers are a blur. <laughs> and I'm yeah, no, I'm not great with festivals because um, I actually don't really like people. Yeah. And this sounds like I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> But I, like, succulently sarcastic <laughs> <laughs> but like I, I, I would get very sort of everybody go home now you're annoying and actually I've just been reminded I'm also a Christmas baby so I didn't really have uh, birthday parties because this fucker Jesus would sort of take yeah, over yeah, yeah. And, uh, but the one year I did have a party I sent everybody home after an hour why? I was sick of them <laughs> I was That's, absolutely sick cork, of them. Uh, yeah, I was attitude. like, go home now, I want to watch Willy Wonka, and you're yeah, bothering yeah, yeah. me. You're enough for you now, girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my, my parents were mortified. They were like, no, we'll have cake. I'm like, well, you, you deal no. with them. I'm going in here. Speaking of your child, you were, I was reading you were encouraged at a very young age to speak your mind <laughs> and articulate your mind to the point where they sent you to speech and drama. I think you've said that, well, if we want to understand her, we'd better send her somewhere <laughs> that we can make her understandable. And by, and by accident, that yeah. led you down the road of being an actor. Yeah, I think so. I certainly wasn't encouraged, I think. Uh, to, to be <laughs> an actor, no. No, I wasn't encouraged to be an actor, God, no. And I wasn't encouraged to speak my mind, but that was sort of my inclination. And also, like, I, I, I am my, my, my parents' child, so there was sort of, I was going to speak my mind. And you're from, can I pronounce this correctly, Aherla? Aherla, yeah. Aherla, so it's, about, it's near Ovens, it's about how it, far from Cork City? It's yeah, 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 yeah. It's sort of halfway between Cork and McCroom, but my mum is from, was from uh, Beira, the Beira Peninsula, and my dad was from the Gaeltacht and Cooley, so wow. I sort of have the... And was music a big part then of your childhood home? Was there lots of records or radios on, or what was the... We, we had a impact? few records. They weren't actually big music people. Um, it would be more words really they, you know poetry and stuff they, and 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 reading and literature but 
but music, there would be a few things all right. You know, we'd have the cassette tapes oh, that in the car. Us, that brings us beautifully <laughs> to your first uh, choice for your recorded history. Yeah. It is The Heart and Soul of Rock and Roll, 1987. It's a compilation tape that came with the Reader's Digest. Yes. Oh, did oh, it? Did. I thought it was a television offer. Well, also, I didn't know because Santi got me it. Oh, sorry. Yeah. He got it from the Reader's Digest. Santi must have yes. had an account with the Reader's Digest. So if you don't mind, there's eight, right. 84 songs over seven cassettes. And I had this tape as well. Did you? Yes, my father had this tape. And just to kind of, suppose, bring us back to those times, here we go. Here's a track, one of the 84 from <laughs> The Heart and Soul of Rock and Roll. The Heart and Soul of Rock and Roll. Now, that is Bill Haley in the comments, and I, that's the one I chose, because that's the song that brings me back to my childhood from that cassette. See you later, Alligator. What, when you listen to the songs, some of the greatest rock and roll rec- songs of all time, it's a wonderful compilation, in fairness. Almost like it's the heart and soul of it, really. Would you say that? I'd, I'd say it I'd be go the so heart and soul of say, rock and roll. If you're a reader's digest fa- uh, reader, you'd very And who amongst it. us is not a reader's digest fan? Was there many reader's digests in your house? There was, actually. I don't know where they there, came from. There was a pile in yeah. every house when I grew up. Where, yeah. like, where do you... I never. Were they delivered? Were they just handed down from, I have no from the idea. time of Newgrange? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did people pile them up yeah. so the sun the would come in? The shadows on the cave. <laughs> <laughs> but bring it, listen to that, that record and the, that compilation of seven yeah. cassettes is incredible to think about now. Yeah, yeah, Heart and Soul of Rock and Roll. What does that remind you of? Where does that bring you when you hear well, songs from that? It would sort of, it brings me to my dad actually, because dad loved Elvis and loved rock and roll. And, and um, it, it, he would have a, a song, you know, Blueberry Hill. Uh, oh, Fats Domino. Fats Domino, yes. who only died recently, I he think. He only died recently, yeah. yeah. And um, he would be, he, his party piece would be to sort of pretend to play instruments. <laughs> it's, it, as a party piece goes, it's not exactly, I mean, it, it wasn't even air guitar. He would just look very earnest and wiggle his fingers, and that would be him playing Blueberry uh, Hill. Um, That's 80% Hill. of indie bands now, yeah, so yeah. he gets away with it. <laughs> but, um, it, like, he loved his school days and that sort of rock and roll era. So um, he'd get very excited when he'd hear rock and roll and the leg would start going, you know, yeah, that sort of dance. My, I think that my, our, our similar vintage, my yeah. father was, at any chance, he was, again, another Elvis fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jerry Lee Lewis, you've got, obviously, yes. Fats Domino. Yeah. At any time, something, uh, when he play a song in the car, invariably, from oh, this combination. And a, a kind of look would come over his eye. That's right, wistful. Wistful, kind of sad, can I say? Like, but also, like, you don't want your parents to be like, that was the best time of my life. And you're like, Dad. And you're like, yes, I mean it. <laughs> I mean it. You that ruined the soundtrack my life. To the happiest, but I wasn't around then. I, that, exactly. you, you heard me, son. I said yeah, what I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, is, is as well, is that my dad loved Elvis. And who, who doesn't love Elvis? Apart from we all watched that documentary recently. And went, oh. Yeah. We yeah, but he had lovely hair. He had lovely hair. Beautiful and that man. was the thing. So for my confirmation, my mum wanted... You see, I was sort of a very young 12-year-old, do you know? Do you remember your confirmation name? Oh, yeah, I do. Breed. I chose it myself. Breed. Breed, Bridget, love a Bridget, love oh, a Breed. Yeah. Um, but I picked her because I was really into Celtic fantasy books at the time. Yes. And she was like this warrior, cool-ass um, poet. And I'm like, yeah, I'll be her. And I suppose a saint. And uh, But Dad was obsessed with Elvis to the extent that... I didn't care what I looked like for my confirmation, so mum dressed me up like a Victorian doll, <laughs> but dad was in charge of the haircut. Oh no. And I came back with like basically nearly what I have now, but a huge quiff in the front, 
and basically a number two all the way, like short back and sides. He, he cut it himself. He did. I don't know who he. Oh my god. Yeah. So I looked. Fantastic. I looked, I looked like what in the old days we'd call a cross-dresser about to enlist into the army. <laughs> so just yeah. The image of you getting your head shaved with your army yeah. uniform and, and on. I, but also looking like a Victorian doll from the neck down. It's and going, it's yeah, quite, yeah, it's lovely. Quite the There's hipsters in Stony Batter now that get away with that <laughs> where I live. So, Siobhan, we're going to roll on to a yeah. very different choice now for your second entry in your recorded history. What is it? I can't remember. I'm going to tell you now. Thankfully, uh, it's not live. It's okay with <laughs> So with the great Molly Drake, uh, oh, yeah. it's from a compilation of her songs and poems, rather conveniently, thankfully, called Molly Drake. She was, of course, the mother of Nick Drake. And the recordings were made during the 1950s at home by her husband, Rodney Drake. And we just have a little, for those of people who are listening here live or to the podcast, just give a sense, if I can find my mouse. Yes, get a sense of the incredible sound it's of incredible. Molly Drake. Incredible. Absolutely astonishing for anyone who hasn't checked out Molly Drake do it. And what is it that made you choose this particular record as your second choice? Well, I chose this album because it's sort of, when I came across it, it really stopped me in my tracks and it sort of speaks to something that I'm really interested in, which is the idea of widening the lens, not getting rid of stories, but it making, widening the lens and including more stories, which is what I want to do with my work. And Molly Drake was Nick Drake's mother. And the fact that she's known as Nick Drake's mother it's sort of the fucking problem. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she taught him how to play piano. She, 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 as you can hear, she had a beautiful voice. She has this song called Poor Mum, and it's in response to his song, Poor Boy. And I always think of that album cover. I can't remember which album cover it is of Nick Drake, but he's in the beautiful quintessential English garden. Mm. And there's like an English house in the back of it. And it just, I always, the idea of widening the lens sort of came to me then of like, if you were to widen the lens and even focus in beyond him and just put the spotlight on the window, I always pictured her in the house staring out, you know? And it's this idea of all these stories we've lost. And of course, from my perspective, they're female stories. I know that there are other uh, communities and, and sort of um, uh, groups of people that haven't had, you know, let's face it, Nick Drake, was a genius, but he wasn't the only one. And he, did, he didn't pick it up off the ground. He didn't <laughs> lick it off the stones. Um, but like, I just, and her, it's so remarkable, that little thing. And she did it for nobody. She did it for herself. She did it for her own they voice. They recorded like, it at home, her husband, and a very rudimentary, I think. Like basically the two fingers. The two finger recording, yeah, recording set on yeah. piano. And it sounds all the better for it. It's a it real does. magical, ethereal, but it's the lyrics. Like you're, lyrics. you're kind of lured in by the sweet you think imagine oh, it's like a, a lavender and old lace lady just sitting at the piano going oh da, 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 da. and if you listen to the lyrics oh, they're, they're very poignant very powerful very poignant very but sad. they're not very sad and they're very sort of they're biting they've yeah, got a bit yeah. of a kick to them you yeah. know like poor mom it's like I'll tidy up the toys like I tidied up my fucking dreams to have you and it's like yeah girl I want to hear about you you know and I think that's sort of where it reflects with what I'm personally interested in and that attitude you have now that you've carried through your career and your life was that very much shaped by your mother and your aunt yeah, yeah definitely were, and, and my father and yeah. your father how, yeah, yeah, how yeah. did that come about what were their influence uh what were their influence like, as in what 
how do they shape you? How do, was it just oh, through getting to explain yourself or stand up for yourself? Or yeah, I mean, I remember mom was always really interested in being articulate and being able to talk for yourself. I think she was terrified of not having a voice yeah. and of her daughter not having a voice. I also think eventually she was terrified that I wouldn't shut up. Um, <laughs> But it was very much seen, you know, the way you can pick up from your parents what is, I, I suppose, what they value versus what they don't value. And from my mother, I felt that it was always the ability to speak well. Like, she would always nudge me when, like, it was the 80s, so it was probably fucking Thatcher on the, on the telly or something. But she loved the fact that she would be speaking. She speaks beautifully. Well, she That's didn't, yeah, you know. <laughs> That's what my mother used to say. It doesn't matter what she's saying. Doesn't she have a lovely speaking voice? Well, going, I know, yeah. Can you hear the content? It's a bit, it's, yeah. But like even with Mary Robbins, and Mary, like, you know, just sort of be, yeah. to be able to stand up and speak for yourself. So that came very naturally um, from her. And she's sort of that wonderful generation of Irish women and men um, with that sort of the 70s women's lib in Ireland is a yeah. very, very interesting time. And she was very much a product of that. But, you know, at the same time was a 1980s housewife with a precocious, annoying daughter and a son in rural Ireland. And that precocious and annoying daughter went to UCC yeah. to study science. <laughs> I was surprised by this when I was doing a bit of reading up about you. Was that in a kind of a sap thrown to your parents to kind of a direction that you yeah. felt you needed to go to keep them... Yeah. I suppose their expectations completely completely I mean every parent wants their child to be happy mm. and for them considering the way uh, they were reared happiness came from financial security yeah. and the best way to do that of course you know I'm the era of free education and free university education and, and, and that would sort of enter you into the professional classes so that's what they wanted the fact that I was utterly unhappy didn't want to do it and wanted to ponce around in, a, in funny costumes the entire time. Like the first time I used my lab coat was in, in, in the Dram Society version <laughs> of the film. That's what I was going to ask. You must have gone straight to the Dram Sock yeah. to get involved very heavily, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're still, they're still some of my closest friends. Yeah. yeah. And then you went to London to the Central School of Speech and Drama. Was that quite a culture shock? Yeah, yeah it was. Because like in UCC in the Drama Sock, you know, there was no drama department in UCC at the time. So we were all like, f you know, frantically finishing off our law essays and philosophy essays and whatever and handing them to somebody to run and then sort of putting on your mam's skirt and going out and doing the importance of being earnest or something you know like or, or like earnest oh yeah that's why i thought it was the importance of earnest like earnest 1990s sort of mark ravenhill stuff like we're being so cool we're probably oh, going to have yeah. we're, black we're, polar necks oh my uh, god yeah. like you know sort of <laughs> tesco and dewalt you know <laughs> do, you, do you miss those days um, I was certainly slimmer and cooler then, I think. No, oh, you're cool. Um, God's sakes. Well, I was slimmer anyway. But you missed the kind of rough and tumble, the rawness. I do. And the I do. I love, like, what, what I love about, and it was theatre primarily, what I love about acting and what I still love is the gang mentality of yeah. it. You, you, you have a gang, you have a tribe, you have like a, you have a you have, you're your group of vagabonds and rascals and um, that sort of mischief. I, lo I, I love all that. And then when I went to drama school, um, there were all... Um, you know, Hollyoaks stars, they were beautiful creatures. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, as far as I know, we all listen to the Pixies and yeah, yeah. sort of stay up all night drinking cans and trying to fucking, No, you darling, know. yeah, we're drinking uh, green tea and we're up at seven. For yeah, 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 yeah. And like, ha went and had mascara and stuff. Mascara? I know. There was no and wore heels. There was no mascara in court till 97. There was, oh, sure, we still don't have it. <laughs> that, speaking of mischievous gangs, that brings us, I suppose, rather conveniently 
to Sister Michael and Dairy Girls. Can I just, uh, this is a half-baked hot take that I'm going to serve up to you now. There's a lot of cork in Sister Michael. Yes. Uh, was that a purposeful channeling of your spiritual upbringing? That her attitude, a very kind of like dry, oh. cynical, I suppose, the, the eye rolling, the sarcasm. Being, I can say this because I'm from Cork myself, that uh, I would have pinned her as, as being from Cork. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, like the thing about Sister Michael is that the fact that she's a nun, um, I never, uh, like I had no encounter with nuns growing yeah. up. And, um, and you can't, how can you play a nun? She's not a nun, she's a woman, like. Um, so that never really came into any of the, uh, when I was working on her, the fact that she was a nun. Didn't, no. she, she just happened to be a nun. She just, ha exactly, yeah, she yeah. just happened to be a nun. Yeah. She just happened to be a nun. And the thing about what's good about her being a nun, which worked for the comedy, is that you're sort of on the outside and you already are sort of giving two fingers to society anyway because mm. you're opting out. You're opting out, yeah. You're, 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 you're sort of going, yes, I know what I'm meant to do, but I'm going to do this instead. So I think that sort of boldness within Sister Michael um, is actually the non-aspect of it. That, that's what that expresses. I think my reading of Sister Michael is that joining a convent or becoming known was the easiest way for her... Free accommodation. To, to, free accommodation and to get away from people. To kind of keep her distance. Yeah, she hates people as she well. She hates people, God, yeah. I had to work on that, didn't I? Yeah, you didn't have to stretch too far going from your experiences here. That, that Do you know what reminds me? When you just said there, you know, there's a lot of Cork and Sister Michael, I'm just grinning because the amount of people who say to me, you dropped the accent, your accent wasn't very dairy now in, uh, in the oh, secretary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> were, they, were they from Cork by any chance? They? <laughs> Listen, that brings us rather beautifully and spiritually to your third choice, your third entry, into your recorded history, which soundtracked, I believe, one of your favorite moments from it. And we might as well just hear a little bit of this. Oh my God, what a song, what a show, Derry Girls. And this, Dreams, obviously, the Cranberries soundtrack, one of your favorite moments from the show. Can you describe what that moment was? It was the talent show, wasn't it? They were on the talent show and you, Sister Michael, was standing at the side of the stage. Oh, it's okay, Siobhan, it's overwhelming, I understand. But you were sitting, standing at the side of the stage, rolling your eyes, and then one of the girls was in on the stage. Maybe yeah, it's people, sort of, people it's, were laughing at her, and yeah. they all jumped up to kind of get, show some solidarity. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, it sort of bookmarks a, a, a lot of uh, uh, important moments in, in, in the series. Yeah. And it sort of has become a sort of, um, it's the song indelibly uh, associated with the entire experience as well. Yeah. Um, and, and unlike a lot, well, you know, unlike the, the actual girls, um, that was my generation. Like, that yeah. I was their age when all this was happening. And I was their age when the Cranberries released that song. And so for me, it's sort of like simultaneously putting a hand into the past and holding on to, like, teenage me and me now. And also what that show means to me personally, but also... Like looking at everybody. No, nobody's here because I played a maid in a restoration drama once. Do you know you're here because of that show? Wore the buttons too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you remember, Dennis? Where were you? I w wore the buttons was when the shakes the barley. Um, <laughs> when the shakes the barley. Sorry. Or as somebody said, who went into HME once. I'm here for the when the shakes the parsley. <laughs> um, <laughs> 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 but uh, like it's 
um, you're here because of that show and that show means an awful lot and I'm very proud of that show and I think that show means an awful lot to Ireland as well yeah. and to, to girls and, 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 and women um, and I suppose, yeah, picking those moments, the very last moment of the series with the, you know, um, voting uh, the Good Friday Agreement, I just sort of think, you know, hand, hand into the past holding teenage me and actually where we are now as a country and where the North is now and where we are as an island and in the world, it just seems very potent. Um, so that song is incredibly evocative and potent for me and always will be. Yeah. And now we have, like, without being a dick, like, we all have that moment a little bit now as well, like, in the rain, going, who's she? It is Siobhan McSweeney, yeah. just joining us. Uh, uh, I make Sh- falafels. Siobhan, I, the great, one of the great reveals of the, of the series was Sister Michael's full name. <laughs> uh, for those of you who haven't seen, her full name is... Uh, Sister George Michael, thank you. <laughs> knows George Michael today but listen Siobhan thank you so much for ch- taking the time to join me Ed Smith on Recorded History and all the people that have joined us here in yeah, Today FM Soundgarden what are you up to next you're the busiest woman in showbiz the great pottery sh- throwdown, throwdown is, yeah. is back it is back we're filming that at the moment um, uh, so that, that you really would... seem to enjoy that I love reality. it yeah you really seem to come to your f- I really, really love it. Because the thing is, is that I, uh, I'm not a presenter. Yeah. And I think that's quite apparent. So I don't have the same uh, rules as a presenter. You were a meme for a while. You know that. A meme? Yeah. You were, I've been I, worse. I think on TikTok, people would use your kind of, I'm just going to walk away. Oh, right. Yeah, oh, yeah. that was from Bake Off. That was yeah, the most stressful Off, fucking yeah. day of my life. And I buried but my parents. But you're a natural at being yourself, if that makes any sense. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's terrifying to say, to, uh, as an actor, an actor to be yeah. told yeah. that you're... And that's why, like, with pottery, I do a lot of skits and lots of dressing up as a frog or whatever, which the producers are like, are you sure? Because presenters want to look nice. I mean, obviously, yeah. you're a, 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 an exception to the rule there. <laughs> And that's it. Uh, <laughs> Listen, before we let you go, Siobhan, just, and I've been asked to ask, yeah. why are next for Dairy Girls? Obviously, it came to a glorious conclusion. Yeah. There's mutterings, there's meanderings, there's mumblings about a maybe spin-off or even a movie. Can yeah. you discuss any of that today? Or is it, is it something that you'd be up for? Um, there have been loads of mutterings about both of those two things. Yeah. And I can assure you, it ha- all the mutterings have been outside of... Okay of the production as far as and I've no reason to disbelieve them it's done it's finished it's fini and the whole thing about being an actor personally as well is that you get to live as many lives as possible and I am heartbroken at the idea of not playing that mad woman again put on that costume that yeah I just role play I'm available for parties (laughs) lads but but also I'm really excited it sounds I'm I'm really excited for the next life do you know what I mean yeah yeah so, yeah, no, th- there is none. And it's very complimentary to think that people want some more. They absolutely do. Um, yeah. But uh, unfortunately not, or fortunately not. After uh, this, you'd be like, thank fuck. Before we let you go entirely, Siobhan, I have to put the Sophie's Choice to you. You can only pick one of your three records today for your recorded history to bring away with you to listen to for the rest of the weekend. Which one is it and why? Uh, because... because what? What's that? We've got a heckler, have we? Somebody oh, no, heckling me. Oh, am I getting a heckle? Oh, I love this. Oh, my this. God, I've got a heckle. Brilliant. I've made it. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> am I a comedian now? <laughs> Go Sister Michael and just roll the eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, death by eye roll. Um, I think because 
it's so recent and because it still is sort of with us, I will pick Dreams. Oh, beautiful choice. Lads, thank you all so much. Everyone give it up for the magnificent Siobhan McSweeney for thank recorded you. history. And look, should we have to do it while we're here? There we go. Ah, can I take a picture of you? Oh, that was such joyous crack. And thanks to everyone who came along to the stage at EP to make it such a lovely atmosphere to go along with that lovely natter with the great Siobhan McSweeney. She's just one of those people, really. Such a strong and sparky aura. I actually bumped into her later that day in the VIP area. I know, I know, but I am. Get over it, yeah. So we hung out for a while, uh, just taking it all in, and it was genuinely my highlight of the entire weekend. It was only made all the better when a woman approached her. I'd been talking to Javon, and I had just said to her, do you can approach much? And she just sat there with this look on her face going, only every five minutes or so. And I was like, oh my God, of course you are. And just at that very moment, probably the 57th person that day shuffled over as Irish people do. Excuse me, do you mind? I'm so sorry to disturb you. And there was a woman standing in front of us who we were sat on a park bench in the VIP area. I know. And the woman was standing there looking at Siobhan with this look of absolute amazed wonder on her face. And she was wearing a Sister Michael t-shirt. Well, I didn't think for a second that we'd stop laughing. We rolled around the grass for about 15 minutes. The poor woman just stood there. And of course, Siobhan was absolutely gracious, took loads of photos, got a great bit of crack out of it. Anyway, that is the mark of the woman. Now, if you haven't heard or want to go back and revisit one of the records that Siobhan has mentioned, that Molly Drake record in particular is an absolute stunner, or just even one you love yourself, then we'd absolutely love it if you supported our partners at therecordhub.com. We simply couldn't make this podcast without their very sound support, and I do hope you enjoyed our crate dive together with Siobhan, and that you'll join me next week and every Sunday after that. Next week's guest is Ireland's disco queen herself, hugely respected DJ, a radio presenter who has just recorded from New York to infinitely brighten things up over this side of the water. It's the disco diva herself, my darling pal, Kelly Ann Byrne. I've been Ed Smith. This has been Recorded History. Now, all you have to do is hit the old subscribe button and become a weekly listener. But above all that, lads, subscribe to yourself. You're all just fine. Thank you all so much. Talk to you all again next Sunday. Go Loud presents Recorded History. Hosted, produced and researched by me, Ed Smith, at Go Loud Studios. The show was created and executive produced for Go Loud by D-Ready. Our series is proudly supported by TheRecordHub.com, your local Irish and online record store.